invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Deuteronomy. You're visiting with us. We've been working through the book of Deuteronomy together uh, for some time now, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And uh, today we're in Deuteronomy chapter 30, looking at verses 15 through 20, uh, which really brings us to the heart of the message of the book of Deuteronomy as a whole. Um, The title of this sermon series is uh, The Lord is Your Life. And uh, that title for the sermon series finds its source in our passage today where we are urged to choose life. Uh, So let's, let's hear the word of God found in Deuteronomy 30 verses 15 through 20. See... I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. We'll see if you recognize these words. I saw in my dream that the man began to run. Now he had not run far from his own door when his wife and children, perceiving it, began to cry out to him to return. But the man put his fingers in his ears and cried out, Life, life, eternal life. So begins John Bunyan's famous allegory, Pilgrim's Progress. Telling the story of a man named Christian who, by fleeing the city of destruction and persevering through the hard and arduous journey to the celestial city, gave up everything to find life. Along the way, Christian meets a variety of of virtuous characters like evangelist and goodwill and faithful and hopeful. And at the same time, he meets a number of vicious characters like obstinate and pliable, Mr worldly wise man, Mr. Legality, and he travels through many places like the Slough of Despond, Palace Beautiful, the Valley of Humiliation, Vanity Fair, and the Delectable 
mountains, with each location highlighting the joys and the trials of the Christian life and the importance of the Christian in the Christian life of remaining steadfast in the pursuit of life. Life, life, eternal life. At the end of the first part of Bunyan's two-part allegory, we often forget that it is two parts, you know, Christian finally crosses over the, the river of death, enters into the celestial city where he is welcomed with open arms at the end of his long journey. But don't forget the second part where his wife Christiana and their four children make the same journey following where he had gone before. The reason I draw attention to Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress is because it so powerfully dramatizes the main point of our passage today. Really the point of the entire book of Deuteronomy and its call to choose life. Life, life, eternal life. What is it? And where can it be found? With that in mind, I want us to explore the passage before us this morning, the message where the message of the whole book really is brought to a head. So let's think about it in two parts. First, two ways, and then secondly, true life, or he is your life. The entire book of Deuteronomy has been driving us to this dramatic point of decision. Moses is a good preacher. He knows what he's doing. He, he's, been, he's been leading us along. He's been driving us to this point. But before we consider the decision that he drives home, it's important, I think, to stop and see how Moses sets the scene of this choice for us in, in t- terms of both time and space. First, in terms of time, notice how our text is charged with the fierce urgency of right now. And that is communicated with Moses' repeated use of the word today. No less than four times in this span of just a few verses, Moses says today, 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 in verses 15, 16, 18, and 19. It confronts us with this pivotal moment of decision which cannot be relegated to the past or pushed off into the future. Right? We, can't, we can't kick this can down the road as long as it is called today. The crucial moment of decision is always right now. It wasn't yesterday. It isn't tomorrow. It's right now. How does Hebrews put it? Today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Because an encounter with the word of God is an encounter with the God of the word. And we must respond. So I wonder, the question I have for you this morning is, do you recognize the urgency of this moment? Do you recognize the urgency of today? Do you, do you sense it? Do you feel it? Just, 
just before this in Deuteronomy uh, 30, the, the verses we looked at last Sunday, Moses reminded the people, God's word is not far off. He has brought it, he has brought it near. It is near you. And now he's telling us it confronts us with a choice. And it's a choice that is nothing less than a matter of life and death. We need to remember Paul's words in Romans chapter 10, which we we thought about briefly last week, because Paul helps us understand the choice before us, seen now in the light of the incarnation and resurrection of the Son of God. And in Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 12, Paul picks up Deuteronomy 30 and he talks about a crucial choice, describing it in terms of righteousness by the law on the one hand and righteousness by faith on the other. Righteousness based on the law seeks life by keeping the commandments. It's it's the decision that says, I will secure life for myself by my own efforts, by my obedience to the law of God. And in contrast to that, Paul says, there's the righteousness of faith. The righteousness of faith finds life by trusting in Jesus Because here's the thing, what does the law require? What have we seen in the book of Deuteronomy? The book of Deuteronomy requires full, flawless, perfect obedience to the law of God for life. And the whole story of God's people under Moses throughout the Old Testament tells us again and again and again that sinful men and women cannot find life by obedience to the law. But here's the good news that Paul proclaims. That in the Son of God incarnate, in Jesus Christ, the true Israelite has come. And in his obedient life, he has kept the whole commandment before dying in the place of sinners on Calvary's cross, where he bore the curse for our sin, so that now anyone who believes in him has life. This is what Paul means by the righteousness of faith. And so with this choice before us, I ask you again, what are you choosing right now? What posture of choice is your life set upon? Do you, do you seek life by faith in Christ alone or by some other means that depends upon your doing and your action? I don't have to tell you that the choices we make reinforce themselves. <clears throat> the choices that we make are like force multipliers, right? They, they reinforce themselves. They habituate us. The choices we make not only create you know, neural pathways in our brains, they form the habits of 
our hearts and the spiritual reflexes of our souls. As David says in Psalm 16, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. I set the Lord always before me because he has given himself to me. I shall not be moved. He's present. He's near to me. So so I've chosen him. I've set him before me. And I wonder as we hear David's words, can you say you've done that? Have, Have you realized that the Lord has drawn near to you and you are confronted with this choice of setting the Lord before yourself at all times as he has given himself to you to be your life. Deuteronomy 30 reminds us that God has given himself to be our blessing, not a curse. So can you say, can you say that you set the Lord always before you or have have you slipped into the habit of setting other things before him? And do you know what those things are? Is there, is there something you have placed before the Lord of life? And can, you, can you identify those things? Can you identify those idols? And are you willing to smash them to pieces? Are you willing to dethrone them by claiming the power of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Please understand as we think about this kind of faith and what it does, that you cannot do this in your own strength. You cannot do this in your own power. Nor nor is the decision, nor is the choice that we are being confronted with this morning Merely a matter of intellectual assent. Something that I think we're often prone to mistaking in our own community. God's power has been made available for this very purpose. Because of him who who not only died but rose again and also poured out his spirit to give his people life. And that divine activity confronts us with this choice. Are you willing? Are you you ready? Are you prepared to exercise your will to choose life? To come made willing and able to life itself. We often try to avoid crucial decisions. I know I do this all the time just with daily things. Sometimes I, I hesitate to commit. I don't, I don't want to make that decisive decision. But the fact of the matter is that even when we try not to choose, we are actively making a choice. So please don't choose death by default. Please do not walk the calm, quiet road that leads to destruction. Don't kick the can down the road. Don't put off repentance until tomorrow. Choose life today. While it is still day. 
This is the choice that Deuteronomy 30 confronts us with. Moses emphasizes the urgency of this call, again, in terms of time, but then also in terms of place or space. He, I wonder if you notice how he places this choice confronting God's covenant people within the context of a cosmic courtroom drama. Nothing less than heaven and earth are called to serve as witness to this decision in verse 19, which means that our choice is never merely a private or personal matter, but is always a matter bearing cosmic significance. I wonder if you've ever thought about this, that the things that you choose to love, the things that you choose to pursue, the things that you choose to live for, what you choose to chase after is a matter that heaven and earth considers. You have the eyes to see that. This takes place within a cosmic courtroom drama. This was certainly true in the beginning, right? As the result of the sin of our first parents, the very ground was cursed. And so the great song of creation was turned into a moaning groan, longing for release. When, when we who were created in the divine image to be God's royal representatives upon the earth chose to reject the creator and king of all things, it caused nothing less than a rupture in the created order itself. And if we had the sense to perceive it, we would hear creation itself crying out. Our sin, which we so often trivialize and rationalize and excuse and ignore and dismiss as a, you know, a minor peccadillo, is really what you know, R.C. Sproul once called cosmic treason. Cosmic treason. S seeking, seeking life where life cannot be found is an act of treason. And there are witnesses in creation crying out. Moses wants us to see. This brings us to the second part. The main, really the main point of our passage today. The main Thing, the most important thing for us to see in this passage and in this book is nothing less than the meaning of life itself. The meaning of life itself is given to us here. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't choose life if you don't know what it is. You can't choose life if you don't know where it's found. So what is life? And where is true life found? Some people today believe that life is really just reducible to, to matter in motion. right? This sort of materialistic view of life. That we are nothing less than biological machines. So life is simply your existence between your first and final breath. So live it up. Eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. 
Others functionally live as though true life is ultimately found in physical health and prosperity. This, this is a functional theology of life for many people today. So many people live and act as though true life is ultimately found in your physical health and an abundance of possessions. Physical health and wealth and what your wealth can get you. And so this functional theology of life consists of a good diet, a healthy dose of exercise, good things for sure, an abundance of material possessions, but we make these things ultimate things. And so to take hold of life in this view, you simply have to look after yourself and take a hold as much of this world as you can squeeze out of it until you are put six feet in the ground. Others take a more subjective approach and say something like, well, true life is whatever makes you happy. And we hear this narrative in all kinds of ways. Follow your heart. Your desire is what defines your, the meaning of your life. Follow your dreams. Right? We, hear it, we hear it in countless ways. This is undoubtedly the spirit of our age. The meaning of life is to do whatever makes you feel good. The meaning of life is to do whatever makes you feel the most alive. Pulitzer Prize winning author uh, Annie Dillard captures this uh, when she describes the meaning of life in a poetic way. She describes it beautifully, really, as the tree with the lights in it. I wonder if you've ever read Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Annie Dillard says in, in that book, it was for this I searched through peach orchards of summer in the forests of fall and down winter and spring for years. Then one day I was walking along Tinker Creek thinking of nothing at all and I saw the tree with the lights in it. I saw the backyard cedar where the morning doves roost charged and transfigured, each cell buzzing with flame. Gradually the lights went out in the cedar, the colors died, the cells inflamed and disappeared. I have since only rarely seen the tree with the lights in it. The vision comes and goes, mostly goes, but I live for it. For the moment when the mountains open and a new light roars in spate through the crack and the mountains slam. Annie Dillard says that she lives for these moments that break upon her with beauty, but never last. These are the moments that she lives for. These are the moments when she feels alive. But these moments, as she says, come and go, mostly go. The tree with the lights in it hints at something transcendent. But, but in the end, what Annie Dillard says she lives for is something, not someone. That is a crucial distinction. We need to ask ourselves, do, do I live for something or do I live for someone? Notice that when Moses cries out for us 
to choose life in verse 19, he defines the meaning of life in verse 20 as nothing less than the Lord himself. He is your life. So you see, to choose life is, is to choose not something, but someone. To choose life is to choose life itself. It's to choose him who has all life, glory, blessedness in and of himself. Have you chosen him? Have you chosen life? Do you know life itself? Friends, God is not a means to an end. He is not a means to life. He is life. So from towering redwoods, as we think about creation, from towering redwoods down to small blades of grass, from great blue whales to microscopic life, from life teeming in the sea to creatures roaming the land and birds uh, flying across the expanse. The diversity of life in this world is mind-boggling. And yet it is only a finite and created reflection of the infinite and uncreated life that God is. So have you chosen him? Have you chosen life or are you seeking it elsewhere? Christ, hear, hear this, this is, this is the ultimate message of Deuteronomy in the light of the word of God as a whole. Christ is the life that we are called to choose. Remember Paul's words, when Christ, who is your life, appears. You see, life is not a thing or some transcendent spiritual experience which we need to go searching after again and again and again and again to feel alive. Life is the Lord himself. Life is found in him. John understood this. Listen, listen to what John says in the opening words of his first epistle. He says, That which was from the beginning, uncreated, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. One of the things we need to understand in light of John's teaching, the only reason that we can choose life is because life itself determined to become a man and to die in our place. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is the way, the truth, and the life, 
became a human being and chose death for us so that we might choose life in him. He chose the curse to bear the curse of the covenant that rightfully belongs to us so that we might choose the blessing that rightfully belongs to him. And these things were written down so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing have life in his name. So here is where true life is found. It's not found in something. It is found in someone. It is found in the one who is life itself. And this passage calls us to choose life. Why would we choose death? Why would we choose curse when life and blessing is on free offer in the one who is the way, the truth, and the life? And so, friends, I want to urge you today, in the urgency of now, to choose life. To set the Lord always before you, because whoever has the Son has life. But whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, oh, we thank you that your Son is the way, the truth, and the life. And we thank you that your word is near us. It is not far off. And your word calls upon us this morning to choose life, which means nothing less than to put our trust in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And so we pray this morning that by the power of your spirit working in us, that we would choose life and know eternal life in your Son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.